Michael, we're bigger than U.S. Steel. If you're ready for that bag, go on, brush your shoulders off. If you want it real bad, go on, brush your shoulders off. Markets is crazy, baby. Don't forget your boy told you to get that dead off your shoulders. All the players be playing. All the hustlers be hustling. Gotta keep up with all the mussing and fussing and handle our biz. Be like Wiz Khalifa. You heard what he's preaching. Work harder, play harder, chase those goals that we're seeking. We probably owe it to y'all, but you gotta get it for yourself. Don't settle for the well. Reach for the top shelf. You gotta earn your leisure and pay yourself first. Create generational wealth. Speak money well versed. Never stop learning. Be ready for those tests. The Investopedia Express runs through Invest Fest. Welcome back and welcome aboard and what's up from the ATL. We were back at InvestFest this weekend for another amazing experience put together by our pals Troy Millings and Rashad Bilal from Earn Your Leisure and year three was one for the books. The biggest ever. We'll drop some gems from some of the terrific people we met over the weekend in just a few minutes. But first... It's business time indeed, and the NASDAQ and the S&P 500 broke multi-week losing streaks last week to close higher after a pretty chunky rally on Friday following comments from Fed Chair Powell that pointed to stronger economic growth. Powell cited robust consumer spending and early signs of a recovery in the housing market. His data is better than mine, and he reiterated that the Fed is not kidding about bringing inflation down closer to its target of 2%. Investors are pretty used to this refrain, and since there was no surprises, the buyers got back to work at least on Friday. We'll see if that enthusiasm carries over this week, and we'll get a better idea if the recent pullback in the U.S. stock market is just a garden variety sell-off, as Dan Ive said last week, or something far more sinister. And that leads us straight into our big three for the week. There are a few indicators out there that suggest that the recent sell-off could be temporary, and one of those is the NASDAQ McClellan Oscillator. No, that's not a scary piece of dental equipment. The McClellan Oscillator is a market breadth indicator that is based on the difference between the number of advancing and declining issues on a stock exchange, such as the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. The indicator is used to show strong shifts in sentiment in the indexes, and those are called market breadth thrusts. It also helps in analyzing the strength of an index trend via divergence or confirmation. A reading above zero helps confirm a rise in the index, while readings below zero confirm a decline in the index. Well, the Nasdaq McClellan oscillator recently reached an oversold level, and that's perfectly normal during a bull market. If the selling persists, however, and we start to breach other key indicators like stocks falling below their 50-day moving average, look out below. There may not be a lot of support given all the concerns about the economy, higher rates for longer, and a rebound in inflation. And number two, where's the money moving lately? We know from the Investment Company Institute that individual investors have been net sellers of stocks for the past several weeks, but we've been putting money to work. Take a look inside ETF land and the exchange-traded funds with the biggest inflows have been the Qs. That's the NASDAQ 100 ETF from Invesco, which finally got a little bit of its groove back last week. But the rest of the top five are pretty defensive. 
HYG, the iShares High Yield Corporate Bond ETF, was second with inflows, and higher interest rates make those corporate bond yields pretty juicy these days. PSEP, that's the U.S. Equity Power Buffer ETF from Innovator Funds that seeks to buffer losses at 15%, effectively providing a floor for investors in case the bottom drops out. That took in the third most flows. The Qual ETF, QUAL, took in the fourth most money. That's the iShares MSCI USA Quality Factor ETF that gives investors exposure to large and mid-cap U.S. stocks exhibiting positive fundamentals like high return on equity, stable year-over-year earnings growth, and low financial leverage. A good choice for uncertain times. And the IWM ETF from iShares that focuses on small-cap stocks in the Russell 2000 took in the fifth most flows. Except for the Qs, which always seem to be at the top of the list, the rest of those ETFs are not what we would call aggressive. Investors are being very picky right now, as we should be. And number three, there may be a pretty good behavioral reason why investors seem to be on edge of late. We've seen two bear markets in just two and a half years. And while bear markets are a feature of the stock market and not a bug, they usually don't come this close together. Granted, the bear market of 2020 was brought on by the COVID pandemic and the abrupt halt of economic activity. But the bear market of 2022 was painful and enduring. According to Ned Davis Research, there have been 38 bear markets since 1900. In only three cases did two bear markets occur in such quick succession as the last two. Two of those three instances occurred during the Great Depression, and the third took place in the early 1960s. In other words, it's been more than 60 years since two successive bear markets delivered the one-two punch that investors suffered recently. According to an ongoing survey from Professor Robert Schiller of Yale University about investors' concerns about a market crash, More than one-third of respondents think there is a strong probability that we will experience a 1987-level catastrophe in the next several months. That number has been creeping higher of late, and while very few pundits are calling for that kind of a wipeout, the recency bias of the two bear markets we clawed our way through still loom very large in our psyches. Let's get set up for the week ahead, and the labor market will be back in focus as we'll get the non-farm payrolls report for August on Friday. Economists are expecting around 180,000 job gains last month, which will be the smallest gain since the jobs recovery began in 2021. This will be the last jobs report the Fed will see before it meets again on interest rates on September 19th and 20th. We'll also get the job openings and labor turnover survey for July. That's the JOLTS report, which tracks the number of job openings, hires, quits, and separations every month. Openings are projected to have fallen just a little bit to just under 9.6 million last month. There are still a lot of jobs out there. On Wednesday, payroll provider ADP will release its National Employment Report for August, which tracks growth in private sector payrolls. Private employers likely added 280,000 jobs in August, down from 324,000 in July. On Thursday, we'll get the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, the Fed's preferred inflation gauge for July. PCE prices are projected to have risen about 0.2% last month and were likely up 3.2% year-over-year, coming up a little bit from 3% in June. Core prices, which exclude volatile food and energy costs, also likely rose 0.2% from June and up 4% from a year ago. Remember, the Fed wants this number to be closer to 2, not 4. The housing market is also back in the frame this week, with the latest updates on home prices from Case Schiller, and we should expect prices to have kept rising. That would mark five straight months of home price gains, despite very little buying and selling. The earnings calendar is pretty light this week, but we'll get report cards from Salesforce, Broadcom, and Lululemon, among other widely held companies. (laughs) 
this is year three, right? I said, year one, we put our community on notice. Year two, we put the culture on notice. But this year right here, with everybody in this building, we put the world on notice. Make noise for yourselves. That's our pal Troy Millings kicking off Invest Fest 23, the third year of Earn Your Leisure's flagship event in Atlanta, Georgia. I was honored to attend and participate again this year. Longtime express riders will remember when we first met Troy and Rashad Bilal back in May of 2021 when we were all locked into our homes and studios. Since then, they have turned the Earn Your Leisure platform into a worldwide phenomenon with global events, an online university, podcast franchises, big media deals, and more. And this year's Invest Fest was the biggest ever, as they like to say. 20,000 people came to the Georgia World Congress Center to learn from some of the most successful entrepreneurs, financial influencers, investors, authors, motivators, and experts across industries, and to network and build relationships on their journey to wealth. InvestFest is no ordinary financial services event. It's a wealth festival with live music, heavy hitter interviews, a marketplace for local entrepreneurs and businesses, but most importantly, it's a gathering based on financial education, generosity, and reciprocity. We caught up with a few attendees who have traveled across the country to be here. Why do they come here? What are their beliefs about money and wealth creation, and how do they think they'll get there? My name is Brandy. I'm from Milwaukee and I live in D.C. now. What brings you to InvestFest in Atlanta? I really love Earn Your Leisure. I wanted to learn more about investing in stocks, real estate, and building a business. What do you do? I'm a nurse. And are you an investor? Have you been investing, putting money away? What's your approach to building wealth? Small investments in stocks right now. My next step is to own a home. So, you think about the best long-term investment for your money, in your lifetime. What do you think that is? Is it stocks? Is it real estate? Is it gold? Is it cash? Is it crypto? What do you think is going to be the best one to pay off for you? Maybe for me, real estate, I think that I would be capable of handling something like that. If I knew more about the stock market, probably stocks investments. <laughs> I'm still learning. How about a little of everything? A little bit of everything. <laughs> Diversify. Saisha Thomas, I'm from Seattle, Washington. What brings you to InvestFest this year? Well, I came with my company, Lonely Sin. I'm here to learn and to network. Are you an investor? Have you been investing for yourself and trying to build wealth? How are you going about that? I am an investor. I do invest. I get stocks from my company that I work for, uh, Amazon. I do personal investing. I'm also in cryptocurrency as well. And then I do real estate investing. Do you remember the aha moment when you first realized how to build wealth through investing? You remember the first time that actually that light bulb went off for you? Actually, it was when I bought my first home and I realized that that was something someone couldn't take from me. When you think about the best use of your money for the next 10 years as an investment, what do you think that would be? Is that a certain, is it a stock? Is it a bunch of different things? Is it real estate? Is it, what is the thing that makes the most sense for you in terms of the best long-term investment over the next decade? I think it's a couple of things. I'm, I'm not a person that's going to put all my uh, eggs in one bu bucket, but I think investing in real estate, long-term longevity, that's land no one can take from you, but also investing in yourself, education, knowledge, networking, and then stocks. You work for a big company, but you also have a side business. Tell us about the side business. Absolutely. And my, my business is called Lonely Sin. We're the first ever custom sneaker pendant company. And we're really designed to uh, have the wearer realize their real self. And then also write a love letter to yourself. Be at peace with yourself. Bring your authentic self and all that you do. I love it. Tell us where to find it. You can find us at LonelySin.com or on Instagram at LonelySin with two N's underscore.
As InvestFest has gotten bigger and better, it has also helped launch and amplify hundreds of entrepreneurs and business celebrities across the world, all of them purpose-driven and trying to extend their platforms to other people on their journey to building wealth. Matt Garland, NMLS number 58700. I'm better known as MG the Mortgage Guy. I am a mortgage banking uh, professional for the past 20 years, also co-founder of EYL University and InvestFest. InvestFest has become a worldwide phenomenon. Been watching you guys since the start, so congratulations on this. Here we are at the third one in Atlanta, and it's bigger and better than ever, making yes, history every single year. Yes, the bigger the better, as, that, as they say, man. Um, business is all about scaling, and that's one thing we pride ourselves on is outdoing ourselves. So um, year three is still an infant, right? It's still a baby, um, but we got a lot more room to grow, and hopefully, you know, one day we'll be bigger than Coachella and all these other festivals for financial literacy. I think I will probably see that happen, and I can't wait to be there for that but you know what they say crawl walk and then run all right i'd love to know what your wealth moment was when was the time in your life where you really understood how money works how wealth is built what was that sort of light bulb moment for you good question caleb um i worked for jp morgan chase as a loan officer on wall street for a couple years and that was my first time that i actually saw how the one percent do things and it was actually an eye-open experience to work with hedge fund managers, bankers, financers, you know, all of these big guys buying these multi-million dollar properties and just seeing how they structured their life, you know, from having trusts and LLCs to corporations, you know, just having so many levels. And um, that was probably my first moment when I realized, wait a minute, we've been taught this thing all wrong. We, we, well, our community really hasn't been taught anything when it comes to real estate, but that's when I realized, wait, there's a whole different side to this that I haven't been participating in. So that was probably working on Wall Street was probably the first time when I realized, you know, this was now 13 years ago. I said, wait a minute, I got to do something different, right? So um, shout out to JP Morgan Chase for that one, <laughs> right? JP Morgan with the assist. All right. Do you remember your best or your first investment, the one that made you say to yourself, I can do this. I understand how this works. And this was a win for me. And that kind of set you up. You know what? It's, I think it's your first deal, right? Your first house. The first house that I ever purchased was a primary residence. And I was in the business only a short period of time, probably two years, two and a half years at this time. And I've helped several people buy their own home. But until you go through that process yourself and become a homeowner, then you really start to understand what people go through, right? The emotional tides to even just getting off the fence to even say, hey, I'm going to do this. And that was just a huge achievement for myself because I don't come from a family of homeowners. I come from a family of renters. So being one of the first homeowners in my family, that kind of changed my perception on everything of, wait a minute, I don't have to rent. I don't have to, I can choose where I want to live as long as I can afford it. So that was the first, my first deal was that aha moment, that, that one thing that said, you know what, I want to continue to buy because this wasn't that hard as I thought it would be, right? You've been such a good teacher of your what you've learned over the years, and you're doing that through EYL, you do that through your own platforms. I'm curious, but I think I know your answer to this, but I want to hear you say it. What do you think is your best long-term investment for the next 10 years? If you're going to put money down on something, it doesn't have to be an asset class per se, but where do you think your money will do best over the next decade? That is an amazing question, right? And I won't say an asset because the market goes up and down. 
I would say the best money I can put out there is to invest into myself. The more I invest into MG, the more money I'm going to make. You know, intellectual property is very lucrative, um, especially with the information and technology that we have here. So the more you learn, the more you earn. The, the, the healthier I become, the, the more energy I have. So the best investment will be into myself over the next 10 years because that's an infinite return on my money. I can put it into real estate, I can put it into stocks, I can put it all to this, but the market goes up and down, right? It appreciates, depreciates, whatever. But for me, I'm, I'm never going to depreciate again, ever again in my life. So I only plan on appreciating. So the best investment will be into myself. I think that's smart money and I'd probably bet on you too. If you, if you want to form an NFT, I'm buying, buddy. <laughs> I love all right, you're a mortgage guy, you're a real estate guy. I would love to know your favorite financial term it could be around the housing industry but what's the one that just makes you smile when you hear it when it makes you feel good doing what you do so as a mortgage professional ctc clear to close <laughs> right clear to close music to my ears the deal is done and as an investor cash on cash right i want to know what my cash or cash return is so that's my that's what's my net i love that Right. So those are my two favorite terms or acronyms that I love in the real estate business. Those are beautiful. We love those two. We're going to give you some credit for those on Investopedia. Thanks so much for your time and congratulations on another it. awesome event. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Um, and keep doing what you guys are doing. We love y'all. I'm Armando Pantoja. I'm in the capital markets, uh, stocks and crypto investor. And you started a class in Academy. Tell us about that. Yeah, so what I do is I teach online about how to trade stocks and crypto based on more rational methods, uh, trends, uh, you know, technical indicators, and also worldwide macro events. This was not what you started out to do. This is something you came to later in life. Tell us what brought you to this. Okay, so my background is in software engineering, right? So for years, I was a software engineer. Around 2009, 2010, I worked for a company called iStockPicker. And what iStockPicker was is that it would use uh, software to kind of figure out different indicators on which stocks like had momentum or which stocks hit certain levels on RSI and stuff like that. And I learned a lot about stocks by writing software to be able to predict the movements of stocks. So right after that, I went back to grad school and I started studying cryptology in 2010. Bitcoin was created in 2009. Cryptology is the study of encryptions, encryption in computer systems. Now, that's what cryptocurrency, that's why they call it crypto. That's what it's based on. So I was very early into crypto just because I was in that science at the time. So along with that, along with my experience I had in stocks, just put me on a different path and led me to where I'm at today. Do you remember the moment or the period of time where you finally understood what it meant to create wealth, how to build wealth? I grew up in a, in a working class family, right? Uh, my mom worked at a factory and she was a janitor at the college I worked at. So my whole mind at that point was like, you gotta work for money. So I, I found like one of the highest paying career software engineer and I really love software engineering too. And that's how I was building my wealth up until around 2008. So in 2008, it was a, uh, I was at a software company. It was a guy that sat in front of me, an older gentleman, and he, uh, and he just was always in the stocks, always in the stocks. And I looked over my cubicle and I saw him trading. And I was like, what are you doing, man? And so he took me on his wing and like showed me the beginnings of how to trade. And it was around 2008. 2008, that was a, you know, a big crisis, right? And I always knew that people made money by investing when markets were low, when there was blood in the streets. I knew those sayings, but I never traded stocks really up to that point. I did some in college, but never really traded. So I put $5,000 into Fannie Mae. Fannie Mae crashed at that time. It went all the way down. I still remember the prices. It went all the way down to like 80 cents. It, was, it turned into a penny stock from like $40. 
right? So I bought it then, I put 4,000 in. Within weeks, I was up to like $25,000 cause it was, it crashed and it came back because of the government's bailouts and stuff like that. And I realized at that point, I can make money doing this. I mean, that's, a, that's more than I made working during those two weeks, way more. So that's what got me on that path of learning how financial instruments work and learning how investments work and being able to uh, exponentially grow your wealth investing. What do you think is the best use of your money, the best investment for the next 10 years? If you had to put it down on something or a series of things, where do you think your money is gonna go the furthest in the next decade? Over the next 10 years, I'm a strong believer in cryptocurrency's power to transform society politically, uh, financially, and, and other, other way it can. So I think the best possible play for me is investing in those companies that supply the blockchain movement. Two are Marin Riot, which are Bitcoin mining companies. I think though there's going to be a, a big growth in those companies over the next year when Bitcoin starts to come back with the Bitcoin having in 24. And when that happens, I think the best possible opportunity is to invest in those companies that supply the Bitcoin movement on the next wave or the bull running Bitcoin, which is coming next year. People that lay the tracks, lay the groundwork versus betting on the tokens themselves. Yeah. So we're here at InvestS, 20,000 people coming here to learn. Learn about building wealth, learn about money, learn about investing, learn about real estate. What's your best advice for people who are just starting out, trying to get to where you got to? One of the biggest things to help me is Investopedia. And I, I'm not saying that because you're interviewing me, but I, I honestly, that's- The check's in the mail. Exactly. <laughs> but that's exactly where I learned a lot from. Like a lot of times, if I didn't understand early on, if I didn't understand a certain concept, I'd go there. You guys explained it extremely well. I appreciate you for that. And I learned a lot from there because in the, you know, go back to 2008, 2007, there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't a lot of social media. There were no influences to learn from. You had to learn from like research and a lot of this stuff was very complicated. You guys broke it down in a simple way and kind of built the groundwork to where I'm at today. So I appreciate you. Let's go out on this. You love indicators. What's your favorite indicator, technical or fundamental? My favorite one uh, is a technical indicator, RSI. Because RSI is, you know, it's almost guaranteed money. If it falls below a certain level, it almost always retracts. On, a, on a, you know, a stock that's not going bankrupt or something, but on, on a normal stock, if it falls below a certain number, you know it's going to bounce back. If it goes oversold, you know it's going to come down. So it's almost an easy way to make money if you understand that particular indicator deeply. The relative strength indicator, one of the classics. So good to meet you, and thanks for taking the time and joining the Express. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I'm Casanova Brooks. I'm with Dream Nation LLC. Casanova, what do you do with Dream Nation? What is Dream Nation? Yeah, Dream Nation is a educational movement. So it started out as just a podcast, but I believe that within all of our endeavors, it always starts with a dream. And the dream we trust is what I always say. So everything starts with a dream and those of us who dare to dream while the rest of the world is settling for what society tells us or deems is our reality. We're the ones who stand to be trailblazers, change makers, and ultimately we make this world a better place. So how do you manifest that through your business? How, what does that look like for people that work with you or want to work with you? Yeah, absolutely. So it's coaching, but it's also my podcast. So the whole premise of the podcast is to be able to empower other people to go out and build a life by their design. So for me, because of my story, because of all the adversity that I've been through, but also because of the business acumen that I have, I try to inspire other people through my journey.
When you think about investing for the long term, what do you think of as the best 10-year investment for your money? Where would you put that money now that's going to have the biggest payoff for you over that period of time? Yeah. So for me, I believe it's in two things. One, it's in real estate. That's a lot of my background, but I also know it's the most tried and true method, right? It's the one that has the best tax benefits, but at the same time, you could see it, you could feel it, you could touch it. So it's not as much speculation around it and you can control it. But two, if we go a little bit deeper, I think that it's the childcare niche. So I also am in the childcare business. My wife and I, we own two childcare centers. And so while we're talking about AI every single day and we're talking about so much innovation, the one thing that we're not going to be innovating is what? Putting our kids with robots, at least not anytime soon in the next 10, 15 years. So I believe, right, that everything should be invested into real estate, but more importantly, what's the youth, right? And it's childcare space. So if you put them all together, it's childcare centers, but you have to have the real estate piece with it because I think that that is where you truly get the investment side of it. Do you remember, and take us back if you do, to that moment when you realized how wealth is created? What were you doing? What did you invest in? What did you buy? What did you see? Who did you watch? What made the light bulb go off for you that said, this is how wealth is created, really? Yeah, absolutely. So at the time, I was actually working a job. I was doing car sales. And what I found is that I couldn't uh, sell a car if I wasn't at the dealership. Right. So I was trading my time for money. So for me, I wound up catching a mentor and he had said, you got to find a way to be the Lord of your land. Why is because he or she who owns the land makes the rules. And I was like, oh, man, that made sense. So for me, that was when I truly found that like and I was always a fan of Ford. I was always a fan. Like growing up, I used to watch or look at the top 400, right? Richest people in the world. So for me, I started to look into a lot of their portfolios and how they built their wealth. And many of them had built their wealth through real estate. So it was kind of like the perfect storm of me getting into real estate and starting to build wealth because I knew that I could first focus on the asset, but then in the end, I could have passive income opportunities from that. And you get the appreciation and the tax benefits, which is a lot of what we've been learning this weekend been a fun weekend of learning and you brought a lot to invest fest i'm really glad we got to do that panel together tell folks where they can find you and how to follow you yeah so you can find me on instagram you can find me on all social medias casanova underscore brooks or you can also go to dreamnation.com and also have the dream nation podcast which is available on all platforms it's also on the eyl network so dream nation you can find me you can hear a lot of my backstory you can hear the top minds that i bring on to the show but also if you want to connect with me directly you can do that through social media, Casanova with the one S, C-A-S-A-N-O-V-A underscore Brooks. Casanova, thanks so much for joining the Express. I'm glad we met. I appreciate you, my brother. It's terminology time. Time for us to get smart with the investing and finance term we need to know this week. And this week's term comes to us from our pal Ian Dunlap, the master investor and CEO of the Red Panda Academy. I got to hang out with members of the Academy in Atlanta this weekend, and they are great people with a passion for investing, and they are really big fans of Investopedia. Ian loves the risk-reward ratio, so in honor of the master investor and the Red Pandas, here you go. According to our favorite website, the risk-reward ratio marks the prospective reward an investor can earn for every dollar they risk 
on an investment. Many investors use risk-reward ratios to compare the expected returns of an investment with the amount of risk they must undertake to earn those returns. A lower risk-return ratio is often preferable as it signals less risk for an equivalent potential gain. In many cases, traders and investors find the ideal risk-reward ratio for their investments to be approximately 1 to 3, or 3 units of an expected return for every 1 unit of additional risk. Investors can manage risk-reward more directly through the use of stop-loss orders and derivatives such as put options. But the most important thing to know is that if you want to trade successfully and not get wiped out, you need to establish your own risk-reward ratio and stick to it no matter what. That's how we stay in the game when the going gets rough. Great suggestion, Ian, and thanks to you and the Red Panda Academy for making us feel so welcome in the ATL. We're going to let our pal and fellow finance freestylist Dex McBean take us out this week. Dex was down at InvestFest this weekend as well, dropping bars all over the Georgia World Congress Center and sharing his new flows out in the 100-degree heat. Here's his latest track, 700 Credit, with an intro from yours truly. And before we go, special thanks to Troy, Rashad, Matt, Kenny, and the entire EYL team for having us back in InvestFest over the weekend. It's an honor to participate and share the love of financial literacy and wealth building with so many passionate people. We'll link to EYL's channels for all the highlights from InvestFest 23, and we'll link to all the social channels and websites for the good folks we interviewed for this episode. And we'll talk again a little further on down the line. This is Caleb Silver with the Investopedia Express, and back in the day, the Wu taught us that cash rules everything around us. True, true, but don't sleep on credit, especially these days. My man Dex McBean is here to teach us how to boost your credit scores. Take it away, Dex. 700 credit, if you want it, you can get it yeah. Even if you can't do debit, you can put it on your credit Just don't ever miss no payments, make sure you paying on time Transfer balances to cause with 0% APR The request to increase to your line, that'll help your DTI Debt to income ratio, now we really talking fly Never get denied, or be nervous when they swap Or less left for you to sign your name on the dotted line It's a tool and not a hindrance, keep watch on your interest Make payments perfect with tenants, you can use it as leverage Pursue your dreams and adventures, your credit's a great investment Easy to lose, but hard to get it, so be smart about your credit, yo. Cash rules, everything around. Cream got the money, but now we need credit, y'all. Cash rules, everything around. Cream got the money, but now we need credit, y'all.